do with each other. Um, we're continuing this, this series, Prince of Peace. This is our, our week three of it. We're going to continue uh, through the winter, probably up until Easter. This is a series about what it means to know Jesus as the Prince of Peace. That title comes from a prophecy in the book of Isaiah, a few hundred years before Jesus was born, where it says, a Christ, I'm sorry, the, the child will be born, and you will call him Mighty Counselor, or, or, or a Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And then that's what we celebrated at Christmas, the arrival of the Prince of Peace. So what does it mean to know him? What does it mean to be filled by him? Uh, and what does it mean... That he came as a prince of peace when the world is still filled with war and death and grieving and pain and conflict and anxiety. Is there more of this peace that we can know? What kind of peace can we know now? What kind of peace are we waiting for when he returns the second time? That's what we're talking about. My hope, my prayer is that we would experience more of his peace. More breakthroughs of peace, no matter what we're going through. And we're going through a lot of stuff, I know, in this church community. A lot of stuff. But I believe and I'm praying that we would experience a greater breakthrough of peace, each of us, each family in here. In week one, we talked about how true peace starts with peace with God. And that comes through Jesus. Mankind was separated from God because of sin, and that's what made everything unravel. That's what brought about all the unpeace. In the world. And so mankind has to be reconciled back to God, and that happens through Jesus. He paid the price. He lived in our place. He did what we could not do. To use last week's analogy, he's the only one who could swim across the ocean. We have to humble ourselves and say, I can't do it. I have to get on his back to make it across. And once we get peace with God through Jesus, he starts to put all the pieces of our lives back together. Last week we talked about how inner peace is found when we can humbly cast our anxieties onto God, believing that he truly cares for us and that he is big and mighty. We take our anxieties and say, here God, you carry them. But we can only really do that if we know God first as the Prince of Peace, have a relationship with him. But if we do have a relationship, with, if, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, then we should be able to Cast those anxieties onto him. You carry them. You've got this. Anybody work through the questions that we talked about last week? Anybody find themselves working through those questions this past week? No? Okay, well, I'm glad I shared them. Good reminder for me, I guess. I hope you would put them into practice. Um, today, here's the title. Not that kind of peace. Not that kind of peace. There's a kind of peace that we can pursue, that we can chase after, but it leaves us wanting. And there's a different kind of peace that Jesus came to give us. That was the first reading that Matthew, uh, Matthew I call him Matt, but his wife called him Matthew, so I'm going to call him Matthew from now on. Matthew Doinacker read, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus said this the night before he was arrested, the night he was arrested and the night before he was crucified. So they were about to experience the loss of the one that they believed to be the Messiah. He's taken and then he'd be crucified. And what that meant was he is not the Messiah. In their minds, that's what it meant. He is not who we thought he was going to be. He is not going to do what we thought he was going to do. 
So all their pieces stolen. The movement ended until he came back from the dead, burst out of that grave, until they saw him and touched him and said, wow, he's here, he's alive. And Jesus said to them many times, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. It is I. He overcame the grave. He overcame the curse of this world. So when he said, I'm going to leave you peace, he meant, I'm going to give you the kind of peace that only I can give you because only I conquered death. Then he ascended into heaven, and then he left them with his spirit. And that spirit is what would give them this different kind of peace. A kind of peace that's different than the world gives, which means the world can give us a kind of peace. Can it not? You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to find peace. There are kinds of peace that you can get in the world. I said a couple weeks ago, I can go home and drink a bottle of bourbon, and I'll find a kind of peace in that. It just won't last that long, and it will end up backfiring on me. But I can get it. There are four buckets I want to share, um, four buckets that the world offers that we tend to go to, drink from, for peace. And none of them, in and of themselves, are wrong. Okay? So let me just preface it by saying that. None of them are wrong. They just don't last that long, and they don't go that deep. These, I, I get these from the, the late great Tim Keller, preacher from New York, who passed away last year. Uh, but these are the four buckets. Comforts and pleasures. We can find peace by pursuing comforts and pleasures in this world. We can find peace by pursuing order and control. Performance and accomplishments. And then lastly, approval and acceptance. There's a kind of peace that we can get from all four of these, these buckets, these sources, these, these broad categories. I'll go through them again. Comforts and pleasures. Drinking, video games, the good life, vacations, vegging out in front of a TV. All those things can give you a kind of peace, and none of those things in and of themselves are wrong. But when we look to those things and depend on those things for peace, that's when we're skating on thin ice. Because that's when they tend to wear off, right? The high wears off. The show's over, the video games get addicting, scrolling through the YouTube shorts, right? They, they, have, they end and then you go back to reality and you feel more anxious sometimes than when you started. The vacations, right? Anybody come back from vacation and go, man, I need to go back on vacation? Because when we depend on those things for peace, instead of dealing with the anxieties in our soul in a deeper way, it just comes back and hits us like a freight train. We can escape it for a moment. When, when this is what we run to and depend on, then we tend to be afraid of difficult conversations because they're too uncomfortable. Anybody go through COVID and then feel like when it was over, you're like, I kind of wish we were forced to stay at home because I don't want to go out anymore and be around people anymore. Some of you guys watching at home, you're still there, right? You're just... <laughs> I mean, we get stuck in our comfort zones, and then we get more afraid and sometimes more antisocial, and we get more, I got, I got more social anxiety after being home. I just want to be home now. I don't want to be around people. We get stuck. Order and control, that's the second one. By the way, all of us want all these things, and again, none of these things are wrong, but the, all of us probably are prone to and tempted to uh, depend on one or two of these more than the others. 
Anybody control freak in here? You, you need your house to be neat all the time, clean all the time, or you get anxious? You need your car to be a certain way all the time, or you get anxious? We, we all want order and control, but some of us more than others. We, we need all our ducks to be in a row. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need people in the world to bring order and control to chaos. In fact, God wired us as human beings, as, as uh, uh, people made in the image of God, to bring order to chaos. He told the first human beings, be fruitful, multiply, cultivate the earth, bring dominion to it, name those animals. So there's a place for that. But because the world's broken, we tend to need things to be orderly and control, or, or we don't feel peace. And yet, what happens? Other people tend to get in the way of our control, don't they? You ever wonder why the people you try to control don't understand you know what's best for them? Why don't they get it? Why don't they understand that you just know what's best and they should do what you say? They don't tend to listen. Animals, right? They, they, they don't tend to obey all the time. They pee in places that you just cleaned. All of us have our things and our places. Justin Garden, I'm going to throw him under the bus. He can be mad at me. I didn't get his permission. But he likes his office very neat and orderly. So if you went in there and moved a box of tissues like three inches, I would get a call from him. He'd be like, dude, did you let somebody in my office today? I'm like, why? My tissues were moved. I'm like, I don't think I let anybody. Now, I'm, my office is the opposite. I, you could, five people could have gone in there. I wouldn't know. In fact, five people could be in there while I go in there, and I probably wouldn't even notice them. But I'm like that with money, with our money. I, I need to know where every dollar goes. If I see a charge on our credit card to some merchant in Grand Rapids, Michigan, it doesn't matter if it was only for $3.67. I want to know, what was that for? Who is that merchant? What category of our budget is that coming out of? It needs to be ordered. Oh, I feel a little antsy. So these are the buckets. The world steals our sense of order and control. And if we need things to be orderly, we're going to lose our peace. Third bucket, performance and accomplishments. We need to get it done. We need to accomplish. We need to uh, reach our goals. We need to check off the to-do list and know that, ah, I got some stuff done today. Anybody like this? Anybody really prone to uh, needing this? This is my bucket that I'm most tempted by, by the way. I will um, sacrifice order and control in order to see progress. I'll sacrifice comforts and pleasures in order to see accomplishment. Things don't have to be done well. They just need to be done. I can end the day, and if I had to, you know, let's say... I wanted to cut the grass. It was a Saturday. And all my goal, I just going to cut the grass. But the lawnmower is not working. And I have to take it into a shop. And they say I have to leave it for two weeks. I'll end the day feeling like a failure because I couldn't get that grass cut. Because that was one of my goal for the day. I set out to accomplish. So I feel a little anxious. That can be my bucket. And then lastly, approval and acceptance. We can find peace. The world offers a kind of peace through the approval and acceptance of people. Fitting in, belonging, being celebrated, being uh, respected, being cheered for, people recognizing us for our efforts, people celebrating us, patting us on the back, and there's nothing wrong with that. Praise God when it happens. The problem is, 
if we need that to have peace, because of the broken world we live in, we often lose it. Do we not? The friends who are there for us one week are not there for us the following week. The boyfriend who told us one week that he wants to marry us, the next week he's saying, what I really meant was, I love you like a friend. Right? The boss who one week said, How, I can't do this job without you. The next week he's getting pressure from his boss and he's like, you all better step up. People are flaky. People can't be dependent on ultimately. Circumstances come and they affect our connection with our family members. So if we need this to have peace, again, we're on thin ice. There's nothing wrong with it when it's there. But if we depend on it, we're going to end up disappointed, anxious, sometimes jealous of what other people have, right? I wish I had. I would have peace if they, if I had what they have. So again, the world's version of peace is not always bad. It just doesn't last long and doesn't go very deep. And Jesus was saying in this passage at the Last Supper, I've got something better for you. I've got something that will go deeper, and I've got something that will last longer, and I've got something that cannot be stolen from you. No matter who's rejecting you and misunderstanding you one day, no matter what comforts and pleasures are escaping you the next day, I've got something better. My main point for today is that when life steals one kind of peace, because it will, it's an opportunity for God's peace to be strengthened. Somebody left last week, and they texted me because it was kind of ironic. Um, everything in their house was, like, started breaking that day. The day after, you know, we talked about peace. And they were talking about how my peace is kind of being threatened right now. And that's going to happen. Life is going to try to steal your peace. And I want to tell you, it's an opportunity, those moments, to strengthen the kind of peace that Jesus came to give you. It's not in contradiction to, it's not opposed to it, it's an opportunity for his peace to be strengthened. I want to flip over to, to the other passage, Philippians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul. Uh, let me back up for a second. The Apostle Paul is in prison when he wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. So all those buckets have been stolen from him. Comforts and pleasures, he is uncomfortable in prison. Order and control, he doesn't have it over his life right now. What he accomplished as a Pharisee, he was, you know, at the, at the top of the hierarchy in the uh, Jewish culture. He lost that because he's a follower of Jesus now. And the acceptance and approval of people, well, many people are out to get him. Misunderstanding him, falsely accusing him. But he's in prison and he's writing to the church of Philippi. And he says to them, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Don't be anxious about anything. And then he moves on and he says, hey, by the way, thank you for the gift you sent me. They sent a gift back, a, like a care package to him. But he's quick to say, I'm thanking you because I'm, 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 I'm glad to see where your heart is at in sending this to me. But I don't actually need it. And he, he expounds on that. He says, I'm not saying this. I'm not giving you thanks for the care package because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 
I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That last verse, uh, verse 13, it's a popular one. It's often misused. Uh, you might see a high school football team uh, quoting that. We can do it. We can win the championship through Christ who gives me strength. It's not what Paul means. Sometimes we, we, we use it as like a, I can do it. I can push through. I can carry everything. I can handle everything. I'm tough. I can do it through Christ who gives me strength. It's not what Paul means. Sometimes God gives us strength for that, but that's not what this is about. This is about when those buckets are taken from us, when those comforts and pleasures are taken from us, I can still be content because Christ has given me the strength to be content. When the approval and acceptance of people is taken from me, when achievements are taken, when I fail at something that I set out to do, I can still be content through him who gives me strength, through Christ working in me. You see, Paul had experienced the filling of Christ's spirit. So when Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, he was saying, my spirit, the spirit of peace, I'm leaving with you. And you're going to have in you, when you trust in me, the spirit of peace in you, dwelling in you. And he's going to want giving you strength. That word for contentment, it's the idea that everything is okay, even if it's not. Everything's okay in my soul, even when things on the outside are not okay. Anybody have life that's not okay right now? Yeah, many of you. Some of you are just too exhausted to even raise your hands. He can give you the strength to be content in that. That phrase, um, I've learned the secret of being content, it's a strange phrase in the Greek. It has the idea of initiation. I've been initiated into this thing called contentment. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one, but if you ever kind of got initiated into a fraternity or sorority or football team or something like that, you, you go through something, right? Maybe a bunch of spankings or some pranks or whatever. You go through something. A lot of that's illegal these days. But back in the day, you get initiated into something, Right? You get walked through something. So what Paul is saying is, I didn't learn contentment by sitting in a class on contentment. I got initiated into it by going through difficulties and loss of stuff and loss of those buckets. But Christ was with me and he was walking with me and he was pumping me full of his spirit along the way. And I came out realizing I can be content in every circumstance. That's what he means by that. Christ gives us the strength to be content. He initiates us into contentment by walking us through situations where we lose worldly peace. That's why I said in the beginning that when life steals one kind of peace, it's an opportunity for God's peace to be strengthened. That's what Paul's saying. I've learned to be content because I went through times when I didn't have the approval of people, when I didn't have the comforts I wanted. When life wasn't under my control, and Jesus gave me peace and contentment. It's kind of like a workout. You don't get stronger by walking into the gym, looking around at everybody and go, wow, that's, that feels good, and then walking out. Nor do you read a workout plan online. Okay, I got it. I memorized it. I memorized it. I'm getting stronger. You go in, and your body gets put under pressure and stress. Right? Right? 
You guys understand how that works? Your body puts on pressure and stress, and it, it, it incites your, your muscles to need to grow. Stimulates them to need to grow. In fact, when you feel exhausted after a workout, that means they've been stimulated to grow. You may not feel strong, but they're stimulated to grow. When we go through times when we lose the world's form of peace, we may not feel at peace, but we're stimulated. Our souls have been stimulated to go deep into Christ. So there are opportunities to grow in our contentment precisely when the world is stealing its version of our peace. It makes sense? So when you face something, if you go home today and your stuff starts breaking in your house, this is an opportunity for my peace to be strengthened. Some friend gets mad at you and takes something out of context and misunderstands you. This is an opportunity for God's peace to be strengthened in me. Does that make sense? Now, we can't stop there because it's not just an opportunity. We have to take advantage of the opportunity. And some of us don't take advantage of that opportunity. We react through our pride and our selfishness, and that makes things worse. So that brings us to, I'm going to come back to this. That brings us to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 of 24. Um, this is also the Apostle Paul writing this. He's writing this to the, 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 um, uh, another group of Christians, and he is um, writing about what the gospel of Jesus has done. When we've trusted in Jesus, we have been declared free. And he wants them to live in this freedom. To really live as if you're free. And this, this little passage, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rival, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, uh, the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh. What is the flesh? The flesh is um, our sin nature, which has trained our mind and our emotions to react and feel a certain way, think a certain way. And Paul's saying, when you are driven by that flesh, your pride, your... Uh, 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 here's one definition of the flesh. Um, I think it, I, I forget who it's from. I want, I want to misquote. The flesh is the ego that feels a need and emptiness and then uses all of those resources that it has in its power to fill that need. Right? Because of our sin nature, we're like, okay, I feel a lack of peace, joy. I'm going to go get me some of that. And when we're operating out of our flesh, out of our ego, out of our pride, what ends up happening, Paul's saying is, Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Those are the works of the flesh when our flesh is trying to get its peace through its own means. Does it make sense? So drunkenness is just a form of us trying to get some peace and joy in life. Enmity and strife, that's a form of us wanting to win, wanting to get what we think is going to make us peace and somebody else is in our way and we're going to fight with them because we need to win in order to get the peace, the joy, whatever it is that we think is going to give us that fulfillment. Envy, right? The work of the flesh. I need to have this, but I don't have it. He has it. And that's not fair. 
That's a work of the flesh, Paul says. The ego is constantly looking to get peace and joy in its own way, and it's going to happen, it's going it's gonna, it's gonna to result in those things. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Those who are guilty of those things? No, because we're all guilty of some of those things, at least, right? At least some of those things, right? Anybody else guilty of some of the things on that list? Okay, thank you, Jerry. All right, you guys, you guys are better. You're getting better with the hand raising. So he's not saying those who are guilty of such things. What he's saying is those who practice such things, those who are, whose lives are characterized by pursuing those things, they're not going to hurt the kingdom of God. Not because they don't, you earn the kingdom of God, but because it means you haven't been born again by God's Spirit. You haven't thrown your life on the cross of Christ and has His Spirit fill you. Because when it's His Spirit fills you, you change. You're different. You stop chasing after the world's peace through your ego and your pride and your selfishness. And instead... What happens is, the fruit of the Spirit grows in you. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the Spirit in us will grow these character traits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. They'll grow in us. If we're followers of Jesus, they'll grow in us. It's one fruit, by the way. It's not a bunch of different fruit. It's one fruit. It's different characteristics of the same fruit. It's the, it's the character of Christ being formed in us. So if you belong to Christ, he's saying, that's going to grow in you. The character of Christ. Jesus was the most loving, joyful, peaceful, patient person to ever walk this earth. And that's going to grow in you. If you've got the Spirit of God in you. They depend on each other. You can't have one without the other. You can't be a loving person if you don't have the peace of Christ in you. You ever snap at somebody and then your excuse was, I'm sorry, I had a bad day. You ever do that? What, what, what is implied by that statement? Something during this day stole my peace and joy and therefore I was unable to love you properly. Right? That's what's implied. When our peace and joy are stolen, we will not love people properly, be gentle with people. We certainly won't be patient with people. We won't be long-suffering. So when we are uh, treating somebody with less than love and sacrifice, we should be able to pause and go, am I pursuing peace through my flesh right now instead of relying on God's Spirit to bring it to me? When the, the buckets of the world's peace, when approval and acceptance are stolen, comforts and pleasures are stolen, we're going to be tempted to react out of our flesh. But we have an opportunity for the fruit of God's Spirit to really grow in a deeper way in us. In other words, troubles don't have to stop the fruit of the Spirit from growing. It is our flesh's reaction to those troubles that stop fruit from growing. If we react by saying, no, I need to have this now, and he's in my way, she's in my way. Yeah, that'll stop the fruit from growing, but it's not the troubles themselves. The troubles themselves are opportunities for the fruit to grow deeper, wider. It still begs the question, how? Like, is there a part for us to play, or does it just happen automatically? And so there's two key things, and this is where we're going to start to 
land the plane here. There's two key things from this passage that I think is important. Paul said, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. To crucify the flesh means you say to that ego that is constantly looking to satisfy itself, me, 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 now, 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 this way, this way, this way, I need it. I need things to be orderly and in control now. I need people to like me now. I need to accomplish this now at any cost, no matter who's in my way. When we crucify that, that means we, we, we put it down. We say, no, you are not going to control me. Yeah, you're going to have, you're going to try to scream at some sometimes, but I'm, you're not going to own me anymore because I belong to Jesus and his spirit is in me. So when those opportunities come up, we go, no. I'm not going to be driven by the flesh. I'm not going to start screaming because life feels out of control and I'm going to try to take it back. I'm putting it down. And then we are filled with the Spirit. That brings us to a passage we didn't read. This is in Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul said this, Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. That means... You're filled up with wine. You're letting wine control you, alcohol control you. He's not saying wine is bad. He's not, you know, other parts of the Bible commend the use of wine to worship God. But when you're driven by it, when you need it for your peace, it's going to lead to all kinds of craziness. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So he's telling a group of Christians who already have the Holy Spirit in them, be filled with that Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Those are results of being filled with the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is compelling you and controlling you, rather than your ego, the result is you can sing and praise God and celebrate who God is and give thanks to Him because you see Him at work in things. You can submit to other people because you don't need to have things go your way. You don't need to be in control. You don't need to win. You don't need to uh, uh, have people's acceptance and approval of you all the time. You don't have to manipulate situations. You can submit. Ah, it doesn't have to be my way. It's okay. I can actually love you even if you don't love me right now. It's okay. I can respect you even if you don't respect me. It's okay. Because you're filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit is peace. And when we're filled with His peace... We don't need to chase the world's version of peace and push people out of the way to get it or manipulate them into liking us to get it. We are filled with the Spirit. So let me summarize this. I know I've, this is a strange message, right? I'm bouncing all around. Some of you guys are like, I can't follow. Let me try to put it all together now. When life steals one kind of peace, it's an opportunity for God's peace to be strengthened as we put our ego in the basement and we're filled by Christ's Spirit. That's what we're to do. Christ will give us strength and, and contentment. Our job is to put our ego in the basement. What I mean by that is like if, if your soul... Anybody else hear that? Was that me? <laughs> um, if, if your soul was a house, Paul's saying, crucify the flesh. Your ego, stick it in the basement. Don't let him come up and take control over your living room and your kitchen and your, and your bedrooms. The Spirit should own all that. And yeah, your ego is going to be there until the day Jesus comes back, but keep him in the basement. When he tries to come back up, you slam that door. Get back down there, basement. Fool. Get, him, get down there. 
But too many Christians do the opposite. We put the spirit in the basement. But hey, spirit, you can come out on Sunday mornings. I'm going to let you out on Sundays. We're going to go to church together and sing. But when we get home, I'm putting you back in the basement. And then my ego is going to control me the rest of the week. And when people get in my way at work, oh, they better watch out. My ego is going to control me. The ego's owning the rest of the house. That's what a lot of us do. So Paul says, no, you crucify that ego. You put him in the basement. Say, Lord, fill me fresh with your spirit. Take over the rest of my soul, my house. So that when those opportunities come up, when the world steals one version of peace, you can strengthen my other peace, the deeper peace, the peace that you said you would leave with me, the peace that grows as fruit. That make sense? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, um, the band's going to come down here, and you guys can come down here now. We're going to receive communion together. We're doing this every other week. There's a station to my right and a station to my left and a station in the back. And remember, remember what we're remembering at communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. When you receive communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the cracker represents his body given for you and me. He became a human to live a life we couldn't live. The juice represents blood, his blood spilled, shed for you and me. He took what we deserve, the punishment, so that we can get God, the God of peace, a relationship with him. And so that his spirit, his spirit of peace can actually dwell in us. And so that when we face moments of loss and anxiety, we can stop and go, Jesus, fill me fresh with your spirit of peace. That's what we get, not because we deserve it. You can have a bad week where you screw up and you still get to pray, Jesus, fill me with your spirit of peace. Not based on what I've done, but what Jesus has done. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It's based on what he's done. That I get the spirit of peace filling me in moments of loss and pain and people misunderstanding me. I hate when people misunderstand me. And I have to go, oh, Jesus, give me peace. I don't need them. My ego says I need them to understand me right now. But your spirit of peace says, I don't need them to understand me right now. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need to have the last word right now. I don't need it. So let's stand. I know some of you guys are wondering, is this possible for me? Because I can't imagine having peace with what I'm going through. Some of you guys might be thinking, I can't imagine having peace with what I'm going through. I can't imagine having uh, this, this need to be in control broken. I've been like that my whole life. I can't imagine being freed from the need to please people all the time. I'm just, I'm an approval addict. I need people to like me and approve of me. And it makes me anxious all the time. If somebody doesn't text me back, I get anxious. I can't imagine that not happening. If you're here and you're struggling to imagine a breakthrough of peace, I just want to give you one more scripture. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. Some versions say imagine. According to the power at work. Where? Within us. Within us. His spirit in you. The hope of glory in you. 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and his job is to make you more like Jesus, which includes becoming a person filled with the peace that Jesus had when he walked on this earth. Prayer team, why don't you come down too? Those of you who signed up to be on the prayer team this week, if you need prayer for anything, you're struggling with anxiety, you need healing, your family is broken, there's relational conflict that hasn't been uh, restored, anything, come be prayed for. If you just need to be filled afresh with God's spirit, the spirit of peace, and you, feel, you just feel empty, exhausted, come be prayed for. They'll pray for you. Before you receive communion, let them pray over you. Dan and Cindy are here. Bill and uh, Christine are here. Uh, Donna will be down here as well. Just Dottie will be over here. I'll be over here as well if we need it. But let me pray. No, I'm not going to pray. Never mind. Let's do this. I'm going to read this passage again. We're going to do this together. Let's read this passage, and you read it with me. And don't read it like you're a high school student saying the Pledge of Allegiance, like you just rolled out of bed. The Pledge of Allegiance. Like, let's do it like it's a declaration over our lives. Ready? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Communion, prayer team, let's sing together. Mm -hmm.